This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs. My name is Gareth Armstrong. It is Thursday, and that means we're bringing some fantastic experts, professionals, C-suite executives into studio to help you fast-track your career and grow your business. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Unfortunately, once again, my famous counterpart, Luby and Boyer Arnold, is on set and is unable to join us. But in her place, we have another fascinating, hugely talented lady who's joining us in studio, Joe Kay. I think I'm getting it right, Joe Kay. Is that right? Perfect. Well done. Okay, super. <laughs> Joe Kay, welcome to studio. You are really hailed as a, as someone that has huge amount of potential, but you've done a lot. You're doing a lot. You There's expectations that you're going to be doing one heck of a lot more. Is that an accurate description of who you are? I think in a, in a nutshell, absolutely. Would you mind putting some meat onto those bones, okay. uh, describing a little bit of who you are, what you do, and then let's begin to just talk a little bit about your journey and what it's taken to become JK, the person as you are now, and perhaps where you're going to be going later on. Okay. Uh, my name is Joke Coker. I am the founding CEO of um, Constellation Coaching Group, LLC. We have offices both in West Africa and in the United States. Mm. Before starting Constellation LLC, um, I was in banking for 25 years. I left banking as an executive director of one of the largest banks in Nigeria. Okay, well. And I had many interesting roles, including being uh, the first uh, female executive director of a 50-year-old bank. I think the only other female they had 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 been a chair, uh, a board chairperson mm. um, years before me. And we had an interesting first day at the first board meeting where the chairman goes, gentlemen, let's get started. Because oh, <laughs> yes. How about that? Because he's accustomed to starting his board meetings that way. And um so I was there and uh, somebody pointed out, oh, excuse me, we have a lady amongst us. He said, oh, no, no, no. You know, uh, when ladies get to a certain point of achievement, they become gentlemen. And, no. and I smiled nicely and I reminded him, I am still a lady. So we will start by saying lady and mm. gentleman. Um, so I think all my life I've had to um, deal in a mostly male-dominated environment because of the fact that I was working in financial services for at least 17 out of those 25 years. Mm. At some point, I was on the executive team of MTN Nigeria when that was being set up. Okay, I also served in MoneyGram as their country director in charge of Nigeria and West Africa. And thereafter, I was in EcoBank and um, went on to... I was headhunted uh, several times from various organizations, one to another. I think headhunters made a lot of money on me. I think they probably earned more than I did. Okay, well, <laughs> very lucky them then. Um, so when we got, uh, when I got uh, put onto the uh, assignment by the Central Bank of Nigeria to turn around uh, one of the bigger, older banks, uh, AfriBank at the time, I thought it was a good challenge and I took it up. And... Um, I found that I was in charge of a directorate of 2,000 people mm. with over 200 branches reporting into me. Mm. And I found myself doing a lot less of financial analysis mm-hmm. and a lot more of working through uh, a diverse group of people. Of course, being the fact that it was a turnaround project, it wasn't like necessarily that they were very happy that we had come in. So we sure. were this new. Sure. So we had lots of... Uh, 
human relational issues that we had to deal with. And mm. I found that I had to win people onto my side by letting them understand what the vision is and yeah. buy into the vision. And, and after that, we got a lot of um, synergy. Just in, incidentally, and I don't, don't want to interrupt you because I'm fascinated by what you're sharing. Uh, Mark Kutafani, CEO of Anglo-American, I mean, a conversation with him, he said, uh, business is all about people. It is. And what, what also just uh, going back a few years, uh, interviewing a lot of CEOs, uh, specifically for a management consultancy that I was in at the time, we would always ask the question, one of our research questions, what percentage of your job is technical, as you would probably have started in your career as a technical specialist, and what percentage is now people, or in other words, leadership? Yeah. And most of them, of course, would say 90% people, 10% technical, and that seems to be what you found. Absolutely. You're totally correct with that. How did, how did you deal with that though? So, I mean, suddenly you, because this is what happens. We promote people that are technically well versed, that are doing really well in different departments, but not always based on their, their people ability. How did, what was your people ability like when you first got pushed into this turnaround situation? And how quickly did you have to learn? I was quite fortunate actually, in my view, um, because my first degree was in, um, industrial relations and personnel management. Okay. So I'm one of those people that have the privilege of working with, with both sides of their brain. I'm mm. creative. I, my creative side works very well and I'm quite analytical. I have no problems with maths. Mm. So, um, because I had the background of personnel management, I do have a lot of people understanding, even though for the first maybe 10 years of my career, I was doing more or very technical financial analysis kind of thing, credit and marketing. Um, and, um, later on in life, after the first 10 years, I found that I had, I was drawing more and more on concepts that I had learned in my personnel management mm. undergraduate study, which served me very well. And, um, I think naturally I've always been someone that likes interacting with people. Mm. As a matter of fact, my first degree ended up being personnel, industrial relations and personnel management because uh, I'd started out um, in college. My first year in college, I was studying pure maths because mm. I, I did so well in maths and I liked it. And then after the first year of studying maths, I realized um, I wanted more than numbers in my life. I wanted human beings. So I moved from the um, the pure science field of maths and moved into our social science department mm. uh, into business administration. And I went into uh, industrial relations and personnel management. And I find that the things you learn in in college are useful to a certain extent, but they're totally different from the set of skills that you will need as you progress in life. And it's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, this disconnect that exists and how it's not being addressed. I don't understand it. Can, can you explain it? I, I find that um, with uh, educational systems around the world, um, my my advice to most people would be um, always do if you're ever going to do a master's degree, do it at least five years after your undergraduate, mm. because then you've had the experience of work experience, work challenges, and then you go on to do a master's. There's real context there, then there isn't there. There is, and I've been also quite privileged um, by having the opportunity to live and study in various continents around the world. So mm. that's why my accent is totally confused. <laughs> <laughs> my accent is completely unique to me. It's because... lovely though. <laughs> Thank you. But it is unique, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I did my undergraduate in Africa here and I did my master's in England. I went mm. to a university called Cranfield University, UK. And um, one of the things they did in Cranfield, which was totally different from a lot of people, uh, from a lot of um, uh, MBA programs, is that you had to do a real-life project. Mm. So I was doing a master's um, 
And marketing, international marketing strategy was my major, so to speak. You don't necessarily have a major when you're doing an MBA. But I got to do a real-life project for a, okay. for, for a, a company that needed a marketing strategy review. It was mm. a company called ADECO, which is a huge employment agency all over Europe. It's a name that I'm familiar with. Anyway. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. No, <laughs> At no, least somebody I, knows. <laughs> I, but I, I read a lot. So anyway. So they had a new, um, they had a new marketing director who had been a salesperson, you know, very senior salesperson before he got this role. So he got the two of us, two MBA students to come and work on a marketing strategy project for him. And he presented that to the board and it was approved and it was delightful Lovely. and happy and everything. But the thing is, doing that project gave us the opportunity to actually put our learning to use in real life. Mm. And I think translating college learning into real life learning is one transition that people need to be doing in more and more of the learning environments across Africa as is done internationally. Uh, of course, there is this argument uh, that is quite strong in the world. I don't know how how real it is because uh, you do need that contextual understanding. You need to be able to put things together. You need to be able to understand systems and how they work. And that really does seem to happen uh, in these in tertiary studies. But uh, do you still hold stock in formal degrees? Do you, would you, do you employ those kinds of individuals or are you more a, you know, the, the millennials, they can Google anything, uh, <laughs> perhaps think they know a lot about that thing. Uh, what, where do you fall? Uh, when I'm recruiting for my organization, I recruit people. And, and in recruiting people, I, we try to, um, match the personality, the real person mm. and the skills to the values and the, and the work ethic in our organization. So for us, the fit is quite important, uh, in addition to the skill. Sure. Uh, we, because we're a coaching company, we realize that there's potential in literally everyone. Exactly. Uh, most people have some strength or the other. Everyone has a star in them. The reason we're called constellation is because constellation literally means a, a collection of stars. Yep, so lovely. we believe that there is a star in everyone. And, uh, all that most people need is someone that can help you to, um, Harness your goodness and bring mm. out that brilliance in you. So, um, we don't necessarily hire a college degrees. No, not at all. Sure. Uh, it's the college degrees basically saying that you have gone through, um, a certain level of discipline, commitment, and that, uh, you are able to, um, analytically think through certain difficult situations. Sure. But it does not mean that there are not people outside that system that are able, just as capable and just as, um, um, have just as much potential. Mm. So, um, while it's a good thing, and I would encourage all our children to go to college, I do not want it said that I came on radio and said, don't go, <laughs> don't to, college. go to college. Don't go to college, yeah. <laughs> Please go to college. It's a really good thing. There's a fantastic experience there, apart from even just the education, the interaction, social interaction is, is mm. important, and it also Absolutely. helps you to deal with life balances in the future, because in college you have to balance your social as well as your academic um, undertakings. So uh, college is important for everyone. I, I would I would always advocate it, but I would not ask for recruiters to recruit only on the basis of uh, a degree. Mm. I would say we should look wider, and I think a lot of people are doing that now. Well, the degrees don't necessarily mean competence, and I think that's what you're referring to here exactly. by, by describing what you were describing. It's competence that we're really looking for. Exactly. All right, let's uh, on the that note of comp competence 
In your career, I mean, you've highlighted some incredible things that you've done, and it's a pity we don't have enough time to explore each and every one of those, but we'll have you back either here <laughs> or at one of our events uh, to talk about that and through that. We must have you back. Okay. Uh, but let's, let's go into your journey. When was a moment where there was a crisis of either confidence or competence for you? Share a story with us and then what you, how you dealt with it and how you were able to then come out the other side wiser, better for it. A crisis of competence. Um, I have two stories that come to mind. I'm trying to quickly think through which one. Um, I think the most Difficult crisis I've ever been through in my life is um, the loss of my 22-year-old son. Mm. I lost a 22-year-old son who was a senior in college. In uh, we were studying mechanical engineering, and he had three months left to graduate on honor roll um, mm. in Pennsylvania. And one day he called and he said he had a tummy ache. He's a typically healthy young man. And long story short, he was scanned and we found that he had stage four kidney cancer. Mm. And eight months later, he was gone. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, yes, it's not one of those things anybody should go through. Mm. I mean, it's interesting, but, um, so after the funeral and everything, I, of course, was in a daze for a couple of months. And one day I woke up and I, I realized that, um, if I didn't get up and give everybody else permission to continue with their lives, then, um, we would all just be in a dark corner for the mm. rest of our lives. And I do nothing to honor my son by choosing to cower and die. Mm. I had started coaching before this time. And um, the experience of that kind of loss helped me to realize that there are so many people um, dealing with grief in certain ways in the world. And I had to come out of myself to overcome my own personal emotions and my own vulnerabilities to be able to help others. How, how do you do that? How do you come out of yourself? Because uh, when you say grief, I also hear depression. I hear anxiety. I hear loneliness. I hear a number of things that people might be experiencing that brings them grief. And, and the things that I've probably listed are probably things that you might have experienced in that roller coaster ride, which was the loss of your son. And again, I'm sorry, sorry for that. But um, how do you do that? How do you come out of yourself in such a difficult time? Um, different people have different journeys to walk. Mm. The first thing is accept and experience the grief. Don't, whether you're grieving the loss of a child, whether you're grieving the loss of a spouse, uh, uh, you know, um, a loss of a marriage when people go through divorce, whether you're grieving the loss of a job, people grieve in different situations, but allow yourself don't don't pretend it didn't happen. Mm. Don't try and be don't try and tough it out because that leads on to other things. Instead, allow yourself some time to experience it. And then one day wake up and say, "Listen, how do I honor this experience? How do I honor the pain I've been through? How do I use it to bring more goodness into the world as mm. opposed to using it to go into a dark place?" My grandfather once told me that uh, in, in a particularly uh, exciting transition that I was going through and it was I was moving into a, a period where I was going to go do volunteer work he, he said Gareth now remember all of the experiences that you've have, have, have had up to this point are not your own when you're volunteering these experiences are not your own they're there to help you connect with those around you hmm. and I think that's what I'm hearing you say here as well yes and, and in the world we are all here 
for the purpose of helping others. Mm. Once we have that mindset and, and we, we get over ourselves, so to speak, um, you know, pe- some people call it self-transcendence. Mm. I think there is a lot more potential for good in the world and for good in each and every one of us if we get over ourselves. Mm. And yes, it's okay to feel bad. I mean, woe is me, this horrible thing has happened to me. But how can I make sure that this brings out goodness in myself and also in others. How do I honor the person that was such an amazing young man? Um, do I do it by being a blackened person sitting in a corner, cowering and pretending to be dead? I mean, I'd have every excuse to do that. Mm. But every day I get up and I go out and I make an impact in the lives of people. Every time I see a life transformed from a poor performer in an organization that becomes a star performer, whether it's an executive that was about to be fired that is able to turn his team around, whether it's a young person trying to take a decision in life, or maybe he's a business executive trying to decide whether or not he should um, change his, his career, or whether it's someone that comes for life coaching. I decided to make my life count. Mm. And I make my life count by helping others every day. And each time I see that transformation in another person, I'm grateful that I'm still here and I know that I'm honoring my son. There are, I've worked for management consultancies. I've seen lots of coaches. I've experienced a a wide variety of different people, perhaps selling themselves in different ways. Mm. Uh, I've never really been, not never, that's probably too much of an over-exaggeration. I've rarely been convinced that there is someone that can help me uh, understand myself and tap into my potential. But sitting here with with you, understanding your experiences, uh, I can see that there is a level to which you are able to come with me in, in, in my journey where you can then help me by perhaps taking my hand, whatever it is, empowering me and walk with me through a journey that um, other people just can't get to. I think that that gives you great power, great influence. I think that's part of the honoring that you're talking about. Yes, and because it's been done from a place of altruistic goodness, mm. um, the aim is to help help others. My husband has a <laughs> my husband gets a bit frustrated with me sometimes when okay. we go out because I seem to always pick up strays. He says, ah. <laughs> so I could be at the grocery store, uh, what you would call a supermarket in mm. some part of the world, and I'm and I'm there. I think there's something about me that somebody would come and say, oh, what do you? about that water and I'll, I'll get into a conversation with them mm. because when I ask people how are you I really don't expect just to find thank you exactly I, the, the I'm auto inter- answer I'm interested in, in people because mm. I think everyone's a book and either the book's been written or hasn't been written but everyone is a very interesting experience um, that we can all learn from and everyone has potential that we can all help along the way and each person that you help helps you to rise even more mm. Like um, Roy says, he says, uh, rise by helping others. And by the way, Roy is the reason JK is here because there is a, a diversity conference that you're participating in. It's a remarkable thing, this idea of diversity. I wonder just some of your insights around diversity and how you've seen it uh, play out. I reflect back to your experience in the boardroom being the only female executive mm-hmm. there, and hello, gentlemen. <laughs> is that diversity and the meaning to you? Diversity in today's world goes beyond black, white, male, female. Uh, it has crossed many levels. Um, and um, 
the bottom line is diversity is about having different perspectives and different choices available to people around the world. So from sexual diversity to geographical diversity to trade to economic diversity, there's a lot of diversity in the world. And in there, there are two ways to handle it. You can either embrace it, mm-hmm. in which case you take um, you you harness the power of the differences in people and differences in thought processes. The, the books that you were describing earlier. Yes. And you harness those books into a synergy that is greater than the sum of parts. Mm. Or alternatively, you, you find some people, unfortunately, out of fear, go into um, um, discrimination and, mm. and, and, and cutting, putting boundaries or, or moving away from diversity. I think that there is a lot of strength in diversity. I think that um, and my topic uh, by, uh, that I'm speaking at, at the conference about is human excellence in the context of diversity, okay, which, which comes naturally to me because mm. I do believe in human excellence. And mm. if you believe truly that people, everyone has the capacity for excellence, then it, it immediately takes away one level of barrier to handling diversity mm. because the only reason that people are afraid of diversity for any reason is because they don't understand it. So I may not understand why you want to wear your shoe on the left foot or why you want to wear your wristwatch on your right or you want to wear your wedding ring on your right hand or why you want to do things differently. If I don't understand, the best thing to do is to seek knowledge, seek understanding, as opposed to opposing you or, or fighting against you or discriminating against you. The uh, I just think, uh, imagine what the world would be like if we were all asking the questions, why do you do that? Exactly. In- instead of putting up those walls, those boundaries, as, you, as you've described. We're running out of time. Let's do a quick fire round here of a couple of questions. The best advice you've ever received in, in two lines, the two, the best advice you've ever received. Remain true to yourself. Okay. Remain true to yourself. Interesting. Where, where was that from? Who, who gave that to you? My mother. Your mother. Remain true to yourself. No matter where you go in the world, remain true to yourself. And the second advice is, Recognize the good in everyone. There is always a good sign. Mm. I just shared something on Facebook from Richard Branson. Of course, of course, we expect him to say <laughs> wonderful things, but he say, he just says always try and be that little bit uh, kinder. Mm-hmm. Always just try be kind. Yes, it's it's a wonderful thing. Then then I'm looking at the clock, and we probably have <laughs> one minute, forty five seconds left. <laughs> Let let's ask the question that we ask everyone which is if you could go back in time and speak to the young 20-year-old future CEO you, what would you say to yourself, the young future CEO you? Enjoy every moment. Even the, even the tough stuff? Yes, enjoy every moment. Enjoy even the tough times. Enjoy every interaction. Cherish every moment that you have because everything is leading you up to something else. Mm. And you are just gathering experience. Everything is an experience. So enjoy, lighten up, enjoy the moment. Yeah, I think of so many of us, and we all do it. We either live in the past or we live in the future and we forget the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, uh, and that's also not to say that we must go the other way, which is only the moment. We mm-hmm. must r- reflect on the past, honor the past, Absolutely. using your word, um, and look forward to the future. Yep. With excitement. <laughs> with excitement and use the moment to, to build that future. Yeah. Joker, thank you so very much for being here on Future CEOs. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. Thank you for being so, so. 
personal and open and willing to share. Thank um, you. It's been a great pleasure. You are going to continue with us after the break in the conversation around diversity and the the real opportunity that diversity brings. And so we are going to take a very quick break, and we will have Joe Kay and a number of others joining us in the studio right after this. This is CliffCentral.com.